Hey, Unnaturalists. I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome back to Unnatural. Yes. Another in-person edition. Hell yeah, it is. We're not on Zoom today. Not today. And today, Emily, we're heading across the pond. I love the pond. We have so many faithful listeners over in the UK. So we decided that we're going to do a case there, a case that was very widely known. But here in the States, uh, you might not have heard about it before. In August of 1985, there were a series of brutal murders that took place in Essex, England. And they were known as the White House Farm Murders. Five people died And it left the local community just in complete shock. The question is, who would commit such a heinous act? The answer to that question let local authorities down a rabbit hole that spanned nearly 40 years. This is the story of the White House Farm murders. August 6th, 1985, Neville and June Bamber are just settling in for a night's sleep with their adopted daughter, Sheila, and her six-year-old twin sons, Daniel and Nicholas Kafel. And Sheila and her sons had just been there for a couple of days, and they were spending some time with her adopted mother and father, and they had had a evening with Jeremy Bamber, who is their adopted son, and it was described as kind of a tense evening, just because the family themselves, they didn't get along as much as certain families would. You know how it is. As families do. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, they got together, they decided to have dinner and everything, but it didn't go as well as one might think it might. Whoops. Whoops-a-daisy. Their adopted daughter, Sheila, has been there for a couple of days, and she's visiting with her six-year-old twin sons, Daniel and Nicholas Kafel. A devastating crime soon occurred in the area, and there was really little to no crime that had ever occurred there before. And all five family members were found shot dead in cold blood in their farm home. What? The babies? Even the babies. I hate that. It's revolting to think about how this could happen, but at 3.36 a.m. that morning, local police received a call from Jeremy Bamber, the son, and he was worried about the family's well-being. He did it. (laughs) Well, this is kind of a case of whodunit. So you might go back and forth on this one. According to Jeremy, he had awoken with a phone call from his adopted father, Neville, who said that Sheila, Jeremy's sister, had just gone fucking crazy and she had a gun. Mm. Not a good combination. Mm -mm. The next thing Jeremy knew, the phone line was disconnected. So he's frantically trying to call back 
Yeah. And he's just getting the busy signal. That's... Should we explain to our younger audience what a busy signal was? Beep, 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 Yeah, beep. exactly. Ding, 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 means you couldn't get ding, through. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> I don't remember what the, what does the busy signal sound like. No, I think you had it right. I was thinking like a, like a reverse. I think that's what it was. Close enough. Um, so the line's disconnected. And that's when Jeremy decides to call the local police. Doesn't call 911, or in England, it's called 999. He calls the local police station. They tell him to meet them out at the farm, which is about three miles away from where he lives. Now, he works on the farm Mm -hmm. for his dad. Jeremy's looking a little sus. A little sus so far, maybe. Now, it took police around four hours before they entered the house, though, they were taking precautions because they had heard that there was maybe somebody with a gun inside the house shooting people. So they waited for... Well, that just shows you that this is not an America. Right, exactly. <laughs> poppycock. It is poppycock because <laughs> in America, they just would have busted right through that fucking door. Yes, they would have. But not in England. So once the SWAT team got there and entered, what they found was really a horrifying scene. Now, the team entered the residence with a sledgehammer and the this one does. The door had been locked from the inside. They first found the father, Neville Bamber, and he had been shot in the kitchen. So right when they get through the door, they see Neville. Mm-hmm. And not only was he shot in the kitchen, but he was shot eight times. Eight. Right. And what have we learned before? Once it's a murder, anything more than that, it's probably a crime of passion. But also still a murder. Yeah. A murder with extra steps, if you will. They also found the twins, Daniel and Nicholas, who oh were God, upstairs. And they were both dead in their beds with gunshot wounds. One of them had three gunshot wounds. The other had two. And How old were they again? They were six years old. Babies. And here's the thing that got me. No. One of the kids still had his thumb in his mouth. (gasps) No. And you're a mother. You understand this. Oh, my God, a baby. When a child puts his thumb in his mouth, they're trying to calm themselves, make themselves okay. So it's almost like they were still alive when the gunshot went in and they were trying to make everything okay again. Hmm. No, baby. Just absolutely devastating. Now, the mother, June, was also on the top floor. Mm -hmm. And she was found dead as well. Uh, she was sitting up on the top of her bed mm-hmm. with gunshot wounds. And the daughter, Sheila, was also discovered nearby dead from a gunshot wound. And she had a Bible next to her, and the rifle was in her hands.
soon after... Was at, it a self-inflicted gunshot wound? She had two shots to the throat. So no. One could assume no. So soon after, police made the shocking discovery, and they had to break the news to Jeremy, who was still waiting outside. And also being suspicious. And as you might imagine, he kind of broke down. And Mm -hmm. he was almost inconsolable. So, at first glance, it kind of sounds like a crazy Mm murder-suicide. And that's what police were thinking. Sheila was the suspect right away. And just from the way things looked around the house... And the fact that she also suffered from severe schizophrenia for many years, as tragic as that was, police initially considered this kind of an open and shut case. Mm-mm. Two gunshot wounds to the two to yeah, the throat to the throat. Not buying at this point for me. Right. Not sold. Well, wait on it. All right. Now Sheila had been on rocky terms with her mom and dad for a long time. They had been fighting a lot, sometimes even in front of her two boys. And Sheila kind of always resented her mom trying to tell her what to do with her boys. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, because 11 years earlier, Sheila's mom forced her to get an abortion at age 17, even though she didn't want one. But it was at that time that that was kind of considered the norm. Yeah. And her mom said, look, you're not old enough to have a kid. You're getting an abortion. I don't want an abortion. You're still getting one. Tough shit, little lady. Yeah. You fucked around and now you're going to find out. And she did. And Not that we condone forced abortions. Absolutely not. And the abortion that she had was with her longtime boyfriend, Colin Caffel. And they ended up marrying each other. Later down the road, but uh, yeah. Sheila's parents were not a fan of him. No. In fact, one time it said that her mom caught both of them sunbathing outside in the nude Ooh. outside of the farm. Spicy. Basically had a conniption fit. I mean, I feel like I would be pretty pissed if I caught my kid naked with her boyfriend naked laying outside. Yeah. On my Right. Property. Doing but God knows what. Yeah. Fornicating. And this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, fornicating. Um, and this. <laughs> this was around. This was around the time June started referring to Sheila as, quote unquote, the devil's child. Emily, I couldn't verify this at all. But I'm guessing it didn't go over too well with Sheila that her mom was going around town calling her the devil's child. I mean, she's just outing herself as the devil here. So Um, next. So Sheila's mental health kind of continued to decline. Mm -hmm. And she had episodes of like banging her head against the walls. Mm -hmm. And even in 1983, the family doctor who was a psychiatrist that had previously treated June, uh, her mother, Mm -hmm. and even given June electroshock therapy 
back in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. Um, He said that Sheila was in an agitated state. He said that she was paranoid and psychotic. And she was even admitted to a local hospital and a private a private psychiatric facility where the doctor diagnosed her with severe schizophrenic disorder. Now, okay. after that, she was discharged in September of 83. And he continued seeing her kind of in an outpatient format. Right. And kind of concluded that his first diagnosis had maybe been mistaken a little bit. He now believed that she was suffering from an even more severe form of schizophrenia. And he gave her some antipsychotic drugs, which I can't pronounce and I'm not going to try. <laughs> okay. But it just shows what she was kind of dealing with. Right. And he also wrote that Sheila believed that, quote, the devil had given her some sort of powers. So her mom. Maybe. If you're if you if you're projecting it that way. I'm just saying. Her mom to, was saying that she's to, the devil's child. The devil had given her powers to project her evil onto other people. Sounds a little bit like Nico Jenkins. And even right. What was he, episode five? Going back to episode five, which you can find in any of our scroll, podcast forms. Scroll um, down in the list. You'll find that's a good one. And she also believed that she could make her sons have sex and cause violence with her. I know. Her, I know. Her kids have sex with her? I don't get it. That's what she told the doctor. Okay. So she's looking a little sus. Yeah. But I'm still not buying the two gunshots. She, well, I'm it, hung up on that, too. She two. was also put it. I know it's weird, but remember. Two. Maybe one doesn't go. Maybe one's not fatal. It's a rifle. Yeah. It's a rifle. Mm-hmm. Two. Yeah. Don't buy it. Okay. All right. Well, you're, you're entitled to your opinion. Sheila was readmitted into St. Andrews in March of 1985. And this was just a few months before the murders. Mm -hmm. And she had had a psychotic episode where she believed herself to be in direct communication with God. She also believed that certain people, including her boyfriend at the time, were trying to kill her. Now, she was discharged from the hospital soon after this, but she was still in outpatient and was given heavy doses of antipsychotic drugs around this time her twins lived most of their time with their dad it sounds like but she would get them every once in a while Mm -hmm. and according to jeremy bamber the family had talked about placing the twins in some sort of foster care um over over dinner the night before because well, things were just so messed up with her. Well, yeah, but if they were living with their dad. I know. Maybe they didn't think that their dad was giving them, you know, what they needed either. Fair. I'm not sure. But um, men are trash. Sheila. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. Now, despite all of these clues that kind of point towards Sheila being the killer, possibly, 
Eventually, authorities began looking at another suspect. Jeremy. You know, I don't, I don't know if it's some sort of prophet serial thing that you're doing here, but it's pretty impressive. I gotta Thank say. you. It's the wine. It was actually a person who worked, who happened to work on the White House farm. And it was the same person who called police to report a possible crime had taken place. Um, Say it with me. Jeremy. The new suspect was the son, Jeremy Bamber. So we did a bit of a deep dive on Sheila, but what about Jeremy? Neville, he kept a whole lot of guns on the ground of the farm. Obviously, when there's that many guns around, you got to make sure that they're all put in a safe place. Right. And by all accounts, he was very careful with the guns and he kept them in a safe spot. Yeah, especially with um, little people running Yeah. Jeremy, on the other hand, wasn't exactly as careful as his dad was. Of course not. In fact, the rifle I was telling you about earlier, Mm -hmm. the one that was used in the murders Mm -hmm. and found in Sheila's hands. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, Jeremy had left it on the kitchen table. Well, wouldn't you fucking know it? Why the fuck would he do that? Because he's stupid and he's a man. It's true. I do stupid things all the time. Um, he claimed that he forgot it there. <laughs> Whoops. Forgot a loaded gun. He, yeah, he also left the gun loaded and he had a full magazine in it and a box of ammunition was next to it as well. Yeah. And here's the kicker. Oh, it gets worse. The rifle had a silencer on it. For What? Not looking great for our guy, Jeremy. No. Not looking great for our guy, Jeremy. I said it. You didn't even make it past (laughs) like three seconds. I was like, it was him. I know. God damn you. Um, So remember that telephone call that Jeremy made to the police? Yeah. In the beginning? Let's talk about that. Okay. So Jeremy telephoned the police station. But he didn't call the 999 number. Now, in England, again, it's 999, not 911. Right. He called the local police station, which is kind of weird. If you think a crime's being committed, wouldn't you just call 911? Does that trip you off at all? Or, okay, that that's not a thing for you. Well, let me dabble, devil's advocate a little bit here. Yeah. Well... No, because this is the 80s. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know. I am on the fence. Because if I am thinking, hey, I haven't heard from my family. I'm getting a little worried. I might not jump to calling the emergency number. Yeah. I might just say, hey. It is 3.30 in the morning. Oh, it's 3. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's 3.30 in the morning. But maybe it's kind of a small town. It's kind of a small town. Well, see, like I, I know my local non-emergency number, like for the local police station. I have that shit memorized. Yeah. But if it's three thirty in the morning and I haven't heard from my family and I'm really, really worried, you know, I'm probably, you know, yeah, I'm probably gonna call nine one one and be like, hey, look, something's not right. Who do I talk to? Well, especially if you get a call like that from your father saying that your sister has a gun and then the phone gets disconnected. Yeah. But 
he told them that he received that telephone call from his father from the White House farm and that Sheila had gone berserk. That's what he said with a gun. Mm-hmm. Jeremy then said that the phone went dead in the middle of the call. Can they prove it? Well, later on in the case, the prosecution argued that, guess what? Jeremy had never received such call. (laughs) Shocking. And that his claim to have done so was kind of a part of setting all of the blame on Sheila, Mm -hmm. who conveniently is dead Mm -hmm. and can't defend herself. With two rifle gunshot wounds to her throat. Right. Two. And Neville, the father, was severely bloodied at that point. Eight. According to the Court of Appeal. (laughs) But if he was severely bloodied, why was there no blood on the telephone receiver? (gasps) See what I'm saying? Unless. Yeah. Unless. Let's pretend. Cleaned it off before he died? No. Let's pretend in an (laughs) alternate universe. Was the phone off the hook? It was. Okay. Well, let's pretend in an alternate universe that Sheila is responsible. What if he was not the first? So obviously he's not the first to die, right? He was the first. Neville was the first to die. Let's pretend in an alternate universe that Neville was not the first to die. She's going around shooting people, kids, babies. He picks up the phone. He's like, hey, look, this is what's going on. Help, help, help. Mm -hmm. And then he tries to reason with her and then he ends up getting shot. Well, yeah. So like he's already dropped the phone. So that would make sense for not having blood on the receiver maybe maybe depending on his proximity to where he was shot and well and i left one thing out there had also (laughs) there had also (laughs) been signs of a struggle with neville and whoever the perpetrator was so trying to get the phone out of his hand maybe maybe but let me just say this sheila was very small And weighed nothing. Neville was like six foot four. Mm -hmm. And even though he was a bit older, he was jacked. And devil's advocate again, though. But people with adrenaline and especially like schizophrenics with adrenaline can have some superhuman strength. So we all know that I'm not sold that this was Sheila, but we're going to play devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. Here anyway. No, I got Jeremy you. Jeremy did it. It's getting a little sus, though. Jeremy hired someone to do it? Maybe. Who knows? Um, We're on a murder for hire kick. So That's true. We are, aren't we? That's what we talked about last week. It was Jeremy, the prosecution had said, who had left the kitchen telephone off the hook after calling his home from the white house farm why would he do this well to establish a timeline 
An alibi. You got it. So after Jeremy telephoned the police, the British Telecom Agency operator, they checked the White House farm line. And this was around four o'clock in the morning, according to the police log. Mm-hmm. And at 4.30 a.m., according to the local courts, uh, they found that the line was still open at that time. So it was still off the hook. Jeremy was explaining why he had called the local police station and not the local 999 number. Mm-hmm. And he told police that on that night that he didn't really think it would make a difference to how soon they would arrive on the scene, I guess. Okay. Maybe. Mm. I mean, to me, it seems a little sus. If there was an emergency that happened at my place or near my place, I would definitely call the emergency line. Yeah. Rather than the local police station. I don't even know if it would occur to me. But again, small town. we got to keep that in mind. In the 80s. Now, he said that he had spent some time looking up the number, and even though his father had asked him to come quickly, he had first telephoned his girlfriend, who was Julie Mugford in London. Then he had driven slowly to the farmhouse, and Jeremy acknowledged that he could have called one of the farm workers, but had not really thought of it at the time. Mm -hmm. I just thought of this too. If this was going down, why would his father call him and not the police? Why would his father think to call his son instead of the police himself? You know, I mean, wouldn't you call the police and say, hey, there's a mad woman with a gun here instead of calling your son? Take out the middleman. Oh, well, devil's advocate again. Maybe. I don't know the family. I don't know them. Were they maybe the type to not want that kind of scandal? So he was like, hey, I'm just going to call your brother to come and just be like, help defuse the situation. Yeah, because maybe since shots hadn't been fired yet he thought that he could diffuse the situation and like, maybe. maybe it was not that big of a deal and just be like, Hey, come like your sister's going nuts. Come over, help. Could be. It's, but, but again, seems a little sus. It does seem a little sus, but you know, there have been, there have definitely been instances where, you know, things have been going on and people also haven't called the police for, yeah. you know, one reason or another, usually because they're guilty. Mm-hmm. And, in some of his early statements when he was on trial, Jeremy had said that he called the police right away, right after receiving his father's call. But his girlfriend had kind of refuted this a little bit, a little sus. And during later police interviews, he said that he had called his girlfriend first. <laughs> Which, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. But it seemed like Jeremy was a little confused by the events. Now, there's a few other things that I've left out of this. One, after all of this went down, Jeremy and his girlfriend decided to go to Amsterdam. 
and they went there on vacation for a number of weeks, bought a shit ton of pot, yeah, and just As one does celebrated together. Another theory is that Jeremy wanted to get in on the money he could receive should his father die. Yeah. And it's always money. Guess who else wouldn't be getting in on that money? His sister, Sheila. Yeah. That's another theory. One other crucial piece of evidence that I haven't told you, which in my opinion seals his fate. Remember the silencer? Mm-hmm. So Jeremy had said that the silencer wasn't on the rifle. However, the silencer was found a few weeks later by some relatives ah. who were going through the house. Why the police didn't find it, I don't know. But there was a lot of sketchy police work going mm. down with this because initially they thought it was just a mur- murder-suicide. Right. So they didn't do their due diligence. Mm-hmm. The silencer was found in a kitchen cupboard. And guess what was on it? Blood. Blood splatter. How could a dead person put the well, bloody silencer in the And again, the why, so think about this. Why would Sheila kill her entire family? She wouldn't. With the silencer on the gun. She may have been cray-cray, but she ain't kill nobody. Right. But then, so, so, so she kills her whole family with the silencer on the gun. Mm. Then decides to put the silencer away and what? then kill herself. But for why would you even need the silencer on there? You're on a farm, kind of pretty isolated. Yeah. Are neighbors even going to hear gunshots at three o'clock in the morning? No. Right. Assuming. Yeah. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? No. Yeah. But someone wanting to be stealth with multiple adults mm. in the house wanting to pew 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 there you might go. want to use the silencer for at least the big guy well and another thing sheila as i mentioned was pretty small yeah pretty petite yeah now two gunshot wounds of the throat self-inflicted but that's what they said but what type of gun did i tell you she used a rifle and how many people use a rifle like that to kill themselves not many when i don't even think she sh- she would be able to do it logistically that way twice exactly and twice too so not surprisingly jeremy was convicted however what and he's still alive to this day by the way kill him um Not going to happen. They don't have the death penalty in England. But, and I encourage you to check this out, Emily. This guy, for whatever reason to this day, he's been allowed to have his own blog. and On the internet? Yeah. In prison? Hey, this is a different country. It is. but I mean, there's fucking prisoners on TikTok in America. Right. Why am I surprised? Right. So he's, yeah, so he's doing his blog and he maintains his innocence to this day. Fucker. And he has a lot of following on there. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that stand behind him mm-hmm. and think that he didn't have anything to do with these murders. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. Sometimes psychopaths, as we've looked at in previous cases, are very charismatic. Yeah. And 
he's definitely a narcissist. Yeah. He's very charismatic. And he's pretending, at least in my opinion, to show some emotion and kind of garner some sympathy for himself. Well, did he really ever show a lot of emotion or like heartbreak? Did you say like after it was discovered that like... I know you said when the, when the police initially told him, hey, your entire family's dead, that he was kind of like inconsolable. Yeah. But like, what af- what about after that? Well, remember after that, he went on vacation to Amsterdam. So. Oh, that was like right away. Not too far after. <laughs> and, there you go. and it's funny because his girlfriend at the time, initially she had said that he had nothing to do with it. But as he started to get more and more sketchy, she did other subsequent interviews with Mm -hmm. investigators and said that he had mentioned that I want to kill them. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't look good for Jeremy. I think that I'm 99% sure that he did do this. 100%. And he was convicted by a 10 to 2 margin. Now, over in England, it's different. Here in the States, it's got to be unanimous, right? But in England at the time, you just needed a 10 to 2 margin in order to be convicted. Interesting. So uh, he's one of the few that was convicted that way, but um, he's still behind bars to this day. Good. As he should be. Who knows if it will be that way for you know the foreseeable future, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. But just what an insane story coming out of the south of England about these murders, which it was just, it, it's one of those quiet towns yeah, where nothing ever happens until something just terrible. Nothing happens until something happens. Right. Rocks the entire community. As they say. So, that being said, Ooh. if folks want to go over to our social media pages and discuss maybe their theories on the Bamber murders... How can they do that? They can do that on Twitter at Unnatural the Pod, Instagram, Unnatural the Podcast. We have a Facebook page, Unnatural a True Crime Podcast. You can also send your opinions on this case, past cases, and any cases you may want us to cover in the future, Unnatural the Podcast at gmail.com. Also, consider signing up for our Patreon page where you will get early access to ad-free episodes, bonus content, and much more. That is patreon.com slash unnatural the pod. And if you are a Apple podcast or Spotify listener and you send us a screenshot of a five-star review to any of the social media pages, just DM us, email us, whatever, we will send you a free sticker. And as always, be sure to rate, subscribe, follow, share us with your friends. We will talk to you next week when I tell you yet another undetermined story because I have absolutely no chill. I am ADD. I can't decide on anything. And as always, make good choices. And don't get got. Whatever. <laughs> Did that wine hit you pretty hard? <laughs> she tasted really sour. <laughs> You're like. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
get it out of me. <laughs> the question is, who would commit... Who, commit? Who's the commish? Ethica. I touch the mic to my lips and I got lipstick on it. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> fucking gonna have to disinfect that shit. And it left the local community just in complete shock. Just like this scrolling down to the very bottom <laughs> of my script left me in complete shock. I hate that. It's, yeah, it's... Sounds like a load of poppycock to me. <laughs> So, shit. as they say, shit. <laughs>